Welcome to New Creation, a home for the creative community of Los Angeles. For more information, visit our website at newcreationla.com. And now, the sermon. Last Sunday in Ocean City, Maryland, there was a five-car collision that caused a pickup truck to dangle off the Route 90 bridge after a two-year-old child, little girl, still in her car seat, was ejected into the bay below. There was a stranger that saw it all take place, and he jumped from the bridge into the bay, down 25 feet, to save the two-year-old little girl. There was a nearby boat that saw it all transpire, and they came by and picked both of them up, the man and this little girl, and rescued them to safety. And amazingly, both were fine. Both fully recovered. And all the news article called the man that jumped a good Samaritan. Good Samaritan jumps off bridge to rescue little girl in the bay below. Now that term, good Samaritan, is obviously from this parable in Luke 10 that Jesus tells. And I think when most people hear that term, good Samaritan, they think of a stranger who does a heroic deed. And maybe we uh, even think of this story as a nice little moral story that encourages people, that encourages us to help people in extreme need, or sometimes even people just in uh, ordinary need. Now, the amazing thing about this story is there, there is so much more here. And we tell this story today uh, as we are now in week two of our series, The Gospel and the City. And in this series, we're looking at the story, uh, the question rather, of how to share our faith. And as we begun last week, we looked at our series theme from Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, which tells us, as we go about in this world, we are to make disciples, that is, followers of Jesus. And as we wrestle with this question of how to do that, we're today going to look at this parable that Jesus tells, the parable of the Good Samaritan from Luke chapter 10. So let's dig in. It starts off like this, verse 25, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, a lawyer at this time was an expert in God's law. God's law and the law of the land were one in the same in Israel. And so this lawyer, this expert in the law of Moses, is a religious teacher. And we see here in verse 25 that his motive is to test Jesus. It's to trap Jesus into saying something that is maybe against God's law. And so the question is not a sincere one. And Jesus sees his heart. Now, for us, as we share our faith, it's important for us, too, to discern the questions that come our way. To ask, is someone looking just to trap me? 
or to prove me wrong, or are they actually asking a sincere question? And the way we answer that may dramatically change the way we answer their question. So what does Jesus do as he is asked this question that is trying to trap him? Well, he tells a story, which is amazing, because you know what a story does? A story brings the temperature down. A story disarms people. And that is a great way to enter into the questions of those around us, to tell stories, to share experiences. And so you may find yourself in the days, weeks, months ahead to be in a position to even share this story, the story of the Good Samaritan, or the story of the woman at the well that we talked about last week. All right, well, let's jump back into this story. So the question comes out, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, if you were asked that question, how do you think you would answer that? Again, it's important to try to discern the heart behind the question. And so what does Jesus do? He asks questions. And that is a great model for us. And so we're given this key word in this first question, uh, it's do. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? In the Greek, the word is poieo. What shall I poieo? What shall I do? And we'll see that word poieo repeated throughout this passage. And so really the question is, how can I earn? What, what's the thing that I can do to inherit eternal life, to earn eternal life? Can I be good enough? to go to heaven? Can I be good enough to please God? What do I have to do to be accepted by God? Now, the fascinating thing is I think that in our own time and place, there's this looming question of what do I have to do to be accepted by anyone? And there's fear around that question. If my past is uncovered, will I be canceled? Will I be fired? Will I never be hired again? If I don't like the, the quote-unquote correct things on social media, will I be accepted? If I don't agree with certain things, will I be accepted? The fascinating thing is I think there is far more cultural legalism in our present moment. That is things that we have to be, do to be accepted by people. I think there's more of that than maybe there has ever been of religious legalism, even at its extremes. And so if we think of this question, it's a very burdening question. What do I have to do to be accepted? But I want to tell you this, that Jesus says this, all you who are burdened, come to me. I am gentle and lowly. I will give you rest for your souls. So this morning, if you are looking for rest from that burden, keep coming along with me. All right, so this question is asked, what do I have to do? What's the burden to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus answers the question with a question. Let's take a look at verses 26 and 7. Jesus said to this expert in the law, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. 
what he quotes here is the most famous Old Testament verse. It's called the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 5. And that is a verse that every man, woman, and child would have memorized in Israel. Deuteronomy 6, 5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And then he also quotes Leviticus 19, 18, which says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus says, you have answered correctly, which if the crowd is listening in here, you would hear snickers, right? Oh my goodness, this expert in the law was just asked the most basic question. He gives the Shema and Jesus says, yep, you got it. Good job. One plus one equals two, Mr. Mathematician, right? It's, uh, it's very putting him uh, on the spot and uh, kind of making the crowd laugh as he gives a very child answer to a very childlike question. So Jesus says, you've answered correctly, do this, poieo this, and you shall live. Okay, let's take a look at, uh, at verse 28 there. He said to him, it's exactly these words, you've answered correctly, do this, and you will live. Now this if we take this command to heart, it is a paralyzing command, right? The command is, love God with every fabric of my being. And do the thing connected to that, love my neighbor as myself. Now, if you were told that, what do I have to do to earn eternal life? If that was the answer, how would you respond? How would the lawyer, how should the lawyer have responded, right? If it were me, I would have said, Jesus, that is impossible. You're asking too much. It's not possible. If that were the requirement for inheriting eternal life, then I am doomed. But how does the expert in the law respond? Let's look at verse 29. But he desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? What he's doing here, trying to justify himself, he's trying to limit the scope to the person that's easiest to love, right? Well, if I can limit the scope of who my neighbor is, then, you know, maybe I can, uh, I can get this done. He skips right past love God with every fabric of your being and goes right to the neighbor part and goes, okay, I, I got this. This is doable. Like, as long as we're in agreement on uh, who my neighbor is, right? If I can limit that. But here's the problem. Even if we do just the neighbor, we even skip the God part and do just neighbor, and we put that upon even just one person, the person you love the most in this world, guess what? Still doomed. Still impossible. If the lawyer thinks he can uh, pull this off by limiting the scope to the one he has to love, by, you know, somehow it'll, the command will become more manageable, he's kidding himself. It's still just as impossible. And so what does Jesus do? He responds by telling a story, a parable. Is this parable just a story? Is it just a lesson of morality? 
Again, why tell a story even? Well, Jesus does it to disarm the opposition. The story is told to make us identify with one of the characters. And it's given to teach something about morals, but more importantly, it's giving to teach us something about Jesus. This story's about him. Well, let's dig in. So the story itself, we're told uh, about the Jericho Road, okay? So there's this Jerusalem uh, journey from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Jerusalem is at about 3,000 foot uh, elevation. Jericho is at 1,500 feet. And there's a road, it's still there today, that's about 18 miles long that makes that descent. And the road is rocky, it's steep, it's narrow, there's lots of caves, there's dangerous criminals. If we tried to compare it uh, to something in our own place, it would be like going down the darkest alley in Los Angeles, in Skid Row, at 2 in the morning dangerous place, right? And so we see the story of this man walking in this very dangerous place, and he has the misfortune of encountering robbers. They strip him down, they beat him, they leave him half dead. And what identifies a person in that day? It's language and it's clothes. And so this man being left half dead, stripped down, has no language, has no clothes, and so he becomes kind of every man. And we see a priest approach. Okay, by chance, help has arrived. Here comes a priest, right? But the priest doesn't help him. And we think, oh, how dare that guy? How disappointing, right? But I want to I wanna just push into that a little bit. Maybe the priest gets a little bit of a bad rap. Uh, Because the truth is that priests have to stay ritually clean to to do their priestly duties. And so touching a dead body would render that priest unclean for days. And so he might think, oh, if this guy's dead and I touch him, then I can't carry out the services that I have to in the the days to come. Um, It's also, again, a very... Dangerous area, right? If here's a dead guy, that means criminals still may be lurking, and I need to hightail it out of here. Um, The priest should help, right? You would expect that the priest would help, but for whatever reason, the priest doesn't. And then next we see a Levite pass by, okay? Now, a Levite is going to take cues from the priest, and he doesn't help either. Now, maybe he's just kind of stuck in that same system, doesn't think he needs the help. The priest didn't. But again, the point is the people whom you would expect to help don't give it. And then here comes the Samaritan. Now, we've got to talk about Samaritans a little bit. Samaritans in Israel were a despised people. They were despised by the Jewish people. Why? Because they mixed the Jewish race with outside races, right? Outside Gentile races. And so the Jewish people thought they have polluted the blood of the patriarchs. They have brought about this religious mix. And so they've polluted blood. They've uh, polluted Judaism with pagan idolatry. 
they now worship in a different place on a different mountain, on Mount Gerizim, and, uh, you know, it's, it's terrible, right? So they're despised is what a Jewish person would be thinking. If there was a saying in, uh, in uh, this time in Israel that went like this, if a Samaritan were walking toward you, you should walk in the ditch so that your shadow doesn't touch their shadow, right? So that's the level of despisement going on between these group, uh, these groups here. And so Jesus, what he does is he tells a story and he makes the Samaritan the enemy, the hero. Very strange, right? So if this story were just giving a moral lesson, the teacher, right, a Jewish person, you would make them the hero, and the beaten man would be the Samaritan. Right? Hey, if, uh, if you come across someone who's even your enemy, you should help them, right? That'd be the moral of the story. So if a, a religious leader is walking from Jerusalem to Jericho, and they see even a Samaritan, you know, beaten down, half dead at the side of the road, they should help him. That would be the moral lesson. But here Jesus flips it. He makes the Samaritan the enemy. Now, why would he do that? Well, what Jesus is doing here is he is pointing to himself. He's saying to the Jewish people, uh, especially the the religious leaders, he's saying, you think that I'm the enemy. But guess what? I am here to help you. Listen to the, the verbs that Jesus used, uh, the verbs of action in verses 33 to 35. He journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And so this is a very active love, compassion, care that the Good Samaritan is demonstrating. And Jesus is saying, that is me. That is the kind of compassion and care that I exhibit. Uh, You think I'm your enemy, but I am here to help you. Jesus is the living picture of what it means to love a neighbor as yourself. So, back to the original questions. What must I do, poeo, to inherit eternal life? And who is my neighbor? Those are the two questions on the table. And Jesus, in telling the story, is saying, Man, you're asking the wrong questions. The question you should be asking is what does it mean to be a neighbor? Not who's the scope of who I should love, but what does it mean to be a neighbor? And here's the answer. Your neighbor is anyone in need, even your enemy. And again, the irony here, the insult here, is the one who does the task of actually loving the neighbor is the enemy. 
So that leads to the second interaction between Jesus and the lawyer. Verse 36 and 37, Jesus asks, which of these three, so that is the the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And the response is so fascinating here. The lawyer can't even bring himself to say the words, the Samaritan. He's so disgusted by Samaritans, he won't even say that. And so he just says, the one who showed him mercy. Again, the key word there, poieo, the one who did mercy to him. And so Jesus commands again, and this time it's even more of a stinger. He says, now you go and do likewise. You poieo, likewise. And so I ask again, what would your response be? Well, what was the lawyer's? Guess what? We're not told. We're left to ponder as well. Here's the thing, friends. When we approach Jesus with the question of what we must do to inherit eternal life, he will show us an impossible task. One of my favorite pastors, Tim Keller, says this, Jesus is seeking, he is seeking to humble us with the love God requires so that we will be willing to receive the love God offers. And that is what we see in this story. When we try to merit eternal life, we become like the man on the road, beaten down, left for dead, unable to help ourselves. And a priest or a Levite will be no help to us. It's just as if they are passing by along the road. So if you think, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Well, maybe the priest will help me. Maybe if I go to church and if I go through all the rituals, I can do it. Nope. The priest or the Levite can't help you. But who comes to our aid in this question? It is the Good Samaritan. It is Jesus. We cannot do what is required to earn salvation, but Jesus can and he does. Jesus is the only one who loves God with all his heart, all his soul, all his strength all his mind, and he is the only one who loves his neighbor as himself. He does these things perfectly, and he does them for us because he knows we are not capable. He does them in our place and to our credit. And that is the gospel. Jesus gives this story to the lawyer who thinks that Jesus is the enemy. But Jesus says, you think I'm your enemy, but I am here to help you. And what's amazing is that we see this progression of characters in the story. So when we think we can do something to inherit eternal life, again, it brings us to become like the man who is beaten down, left for dead. But once we realize that we are the man left for dead, it 
puts us in a place to receive the love of God, to receive the love of the good Samaritan. We are humbled with the love God requires, and that brings us to the place of being uh, willing to receive the love that he offers. And so when we receive the love that God offers, we can then love others like the good Samaritan. Not as a way to earn anything, but out of gratitude for how our good Samaritan loved us and rescued us. Now I want to bring it back to the big question, the question of this series. How do we extend the kingdom of God in our city? Well, as we seek to do that, there are many who may receive us to be the enemy. But our calling is to show them, I'm not the enemy, I am here to help you. And so we must give of ourselves, not warring against the culture, but seeking its flourishing. We're to give our time, our talent, and our treasure to those in need, those who are in need physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And we're to do it because that is what has been shown to us, because we have received it. And we can't do it on our own strength. The only way that we can ever do this is by the dynamic, transforming power of Jesus Christ, who gave his life so that we could be healed, so that we could be accepted so that we could live. Amen? Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you for your word today. Thank you for this amazing story. And Lord, I pray that you would just root it in the depths of our heart and that you would root it in our memory, that we would recall it to mind uh, when someone asks us a question where we could tell this story. Lord, help us to be just good storytellers. Help us to, to listen with discerning ears. Help us to live out what it means to be a neighbor because of what Jesus has done for us. He gave the ultimate resource for us. He gave his very life on the cross so that we could be healed, so that we could be accepted by God. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to live out of that truth, out of that confidence, and in that community, the community of those who have been saved, and that you would give us your dynamic power to love those around us who may even see us as an enemy. So Lord, be with us as your church, as your people, to tell your stories, to tell the stories in your word, and to tell the stories of how we've experienced you in our lives, so that others may be healed, so that others may experience your goodness. We ask it in the mighty and precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. 
Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this sermon and encourage you to become a regular member of our online community. To find out more about the church, visit our website at newcreationla.com.